Good morning, everyone. I'd like to begin today by reading our scripture passage from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Let's hear God's word together. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Invest in seven ventures, yes, eight, for you do not know what risks may lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. When a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather will never plant. If you watch every cloud, they will never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember that there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything that you want to. Take it all in, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. So refuse to worry. Keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, with a whole life before you, is meaningless. Let's pray together. Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to infuse our thinking and our hearing today as we dive into this portion of Scripture. May you illumine our hearts and help guide us into the truth that you want us to live. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Where do you go to get advice on how to live? Who is your trusted friend, a family member, a financial consultant, a, a life coach, a yoga teacher, a talk show host? Who is it that really speaks into your life, who helps guide your decisions, helps you untangle all of your knots? Well, I hope that one of the places you go, and maybe the very first place that you go, is to God's Word in the Bible. You see, as a church, we believe that the Bible is God's word written, not a magic book, but God wanting to communicate with us, intentionally revealing his own character and nature and actions through the words and the stories of real people in real time and history, with the intent that this will help us to develop a, a personal relationship with God and help us to live the life the way God designed for us to live. Because the world isn't going in the direction God wants it to. It isn't the way God created it to be. It's out of alignment with his nature and his purpose. And so we've gone off course. We're kind of driving with a flat tire. And the Bible calls that problem sin. So bad decisions are made. Hurts happen. And consequences can be painful. And God is calling us back to a, a new way of life, a, a different way, a redeemed way of life through our Savior Jesus Christ. The kind of life that's described this way in Psalm 1. He who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That sounds good to me, fruitful, flourishing, thriving. And the Bible has a lot to say to us about how we get that kind of life. There's a whole section of the Bible that's referred to 
as wisdom literature. Wisdom is thinking God's thoughts after him, living in the light of who God is. It's knowing who God is and living in accordance with his design for life because he has our best interests in mind. Jesus said something amazing in John 10, verse 10. He said, I have come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. Other translations say an abundant life, overflowing, full. That means, that means joyful. That means meaningful. That means hopeful. That means peaceful. That means purposeful. A full life. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at one of those wisdom books, Ecclesiastes. And like last week in chapter 11, King Solomon is laying out some principles, some some guidelines that we can follow in order to live this kind of full life, the life God desires. Solomon hasn't always been very good at following his own advice. And throughout Ecclesiastes, he's articulated many of his own failures and, and mistakes, his struggles, and even his dark places. But he understands that his personal shortcomings don't nullify the truth of God's principles. Principles. Principles are different than methods. When you read the Bible, one thing that you'll notice is that it has a lot of principles uh, and very few methods. Principles are the things that reflect the very character and nature of God, and therefore they are universal. They are true in all cultures, in all times, and for all people. Methods, on the other hand, are how we live out those principles. Methods are how we apply those universal principles to our specific world and the culture that we live in. How we apply God's word to the issues of our day. With methods, you're going to need to be a little bit more flexible because not every culture, every person, every life, or every circumstance is the same. But the principles are always the same. And that's why God sends his Holy Spirit to help us take these universal principles and inform us and empowers us so that we can have what the New Testament calls a spirit of wisdom and then apply God's principles to our situation. So each week it's sort of my job to lay out God's principles for you. But then it's your job to take them, to pray over them, to think over them, and to let God's Spirit tell you how to implement them in your life. So here's the one principle from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, just verses 1 and 2 that I want to talk about this morning. One principle. Live generously and invest yourself, invest your resources in what God is doing because living that way will bring you a life of satisfaction and blessing. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. A traditional translation of this passage goes this way. Cast your bread upon the surface of the waters, and you will find it after many days. Divide your portions to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Most of the time, people have a hard time understanding what the heck that means. You know, throwing your bread on the water? I mean, all you're going to end up with is, is soggy bread. So how is that a principle for anything Well, this is one of those passages that you just can't take at face value. And I know someone is probably mentally asking, well, Jeff, don't you take the Bible literally? And my answer is, yes, I do take the Bible literally where the Bible is meant to be taken literally. But there are a lot of places where the intent of Scripture is not a literal meaning. For example, Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, 
If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter eternal life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Well, Jesus isn't literally telling people to gouge out their eyes or to cut off their feet. He's using hyperbole, exaggerated comparison, to drive home a point about temptation. And over the years, scholars have struggled to to translate this phrase, cast your bread, how to translate it accurately, because some go more literally and some go more figuratively. For example, in the NIV, it says, ship your grain across the sea. The good news says, invest your money in foreign trade. But the contemporary English version says, be generous, and someday you'll be rewarded. Those are very different angles on the same two verses. And the confusion comes because this is a Hebrew expression with an economic background. Taken literally, it's a smart business principle. Take your bread to overseas markets, and you'll gain the the highest return on your investments. In Solomon's day, there was a rich export-import business in the port cities of the Mediterranean. But who knew what calamities might come, storms, pirates, crop failures. So the smart business person knew to diversify his or her assets. But this business phrase came to mean much more than that. It came to mean a truth about life. It's like we might say today, don't put all your eggs in one basket. When you say that, when you use that phrase, you're not encouraging people to go into the poultry business. Literally, it's about eggs, but that's not what it means. That's what's going on here in Ecclesiastes. Literally, it's about business. But figuratively, it's about learning to live generously. It's a way of looking at the world, about embracing a view of life that is, that is kind of open and free. That's why the message version of the Bible translates the passage this way. Be generous, invest in acts of charity, because charity yields high returns. Solomon is describing a long-term view of life that would affect a person's business practices and even their personal life because he's describing our faithful response to God's generosity, the way that we should live if we have an awareness that Jesus has come to give us a full life. It means enjoying this life with God as we see everything from this perspective of generous living, a generous an exuberant life like the kind of life that Jesus lived. The principle goes on in verse 2. Divide your portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. That was a way of saying give to as many as you can. And then some. Don't limit who you're going to help. Don't stop with just a few close needs going on around you. Be as generous as possible. Don't say, I gave at the office. Because giving is a way of responding to the love of God by caring for others and and by going after real human needs. You can't always control the outcomes. There are complex and unpredictable things that happen. But don't let that stop you from being generous and investing what you have into the lives of others. All you can control is how you're going to live in response to God's grace and generosity and mercy in your life. So don't let problems hold you back. 
You see, this kind of life, an open, a free, a generous kind of life, that's what Solomon had been missing. He held on so tight to everything that he owned. And although he was wealthy, he missed out on the real blessing of his wealth. He missed out on being able to invest in the things that mattered to God, to use his wealth to care for the poor and those in need. Instead of hoarding it all, instead of clutching it to his chest like some fairy tale miser, he could have experienced the love of God through his wealth and through his giving. The very heart of God by opening his hand to those around him. And he even wrote about this in the book of Proverbs. That's what's so sad. Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and God will reward them for what they have done. He knew this godly principle in his head, but not in his heart. Could that be true of you? On June 30th, when I wrap up this series, I'm going to be looking at how often Jesus used the themes of Ecclesiastes in his teaching. And yet, his flavor is so very different. There's always a sour taste in Ecclesiastes because he realizes how much of his life he has wasted. And on the other hand, Jesus is is full of joy and hope because he's actually living this kind of life. He's modeling for us the kind of generous life that leads to blessing. So Jesus could say things like, freely you have received, freely give. That's Matthew 10.8. And it doesn't come across as, as legalism or that God has a grudge against people with money or that you should give to charity to soothe your guilty conscience. It comes across as joy, as joy. God has richly blessed us. We are to give because that's the natural overflow of a heart that's filled with God's blessings, materially, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. And Solomon knew this in his head, but not in his heart. And there are a lot of Christians just like Solomon who know this in their heads, but they don't really have it in their hearts, who don't experience the blessings of a generous life. Could that be true of you? you got to think about that. One of the things that I love about this congregation is that we are a generous church. We give a lot of money to missions, a lot of time, a lot of people, a lot of energy to to others outside our walls, both locally and globally. If you add up all the money that we, we first of all, budget to our Mission Plus partners, plus the, the money that we raise through our special offerings, plus the money that we raise for all the various mission projects and trips that people are going on, it comes close to almost a million dollars. I believe one of the reasons that God continues to bless our church is because of our commitment to missions and the way that we cast our bread upon the waters. The way we are generous and we invest in ministries that are doing amazing, effective things locally and across the globe. This hit me pretty hard when I got back from from, uh, Malawi, Africa about two weeks ago. It was an amazing trip because I got to see firsthand where our money goes and to see how our mission dollars are being spent. This congregation has had a long-term involvement with ministries in Africa for 30, 40, 50 years, long before any of our current staff were ever came on the scene. 
great ministries like, like African Enterprise that has done outstanding evangelistic work all across the continent. But about six years ago, we made a little bit of a strategic shift so that in addition to evangelistic efforts like with African Enterprise, we began to partner with World Vision to make a significant difference in the lives of the poor in one region of the world. Instead of a, a shotgun approach where our mission dollars kind of got scattered all over the globe, we decided with World Vision to go deep and wide into one particular area, to, to partner with other churches through this thing called Y Malawi, to go deep in one of the poorest parts of the world, the Chilenge region of Malawi, Africa. And I got to see firsthand the way our generosity is making a significant impact to lift people out of desperate poverty, to a life of physical health, economic stability, spiritual growth, where people begin to thrive and begin to, to experience the full life that Jesus wants for all. What I witnessed were very effective professionals committed to their own country who follow a holistic, integrated strategy that really works. No more white colonialism. The ministries are led by nationals who, who know what they're doing and who do it well to lift up the entire region. Partnering with local churches and villages, things are happening. Water projects, health and education, food security, microfinance loans so people can start their own small businesses or villages can create co-ops. Everything from bakeries to beekeeping, seamstresses to, to hothouse vegetables. So many projects, I, I couldn't have time to name them all this morning. And all of that is funded through the child sponsorship programs that we've been talking about. Money pooled together so that it lifts up the entire community. But with an exit plan so that after 15 years, World Vision's job is done and the community is able to sustain their development on their own. I came away convinced that there is nothing more effective in lifting people out of severe poverty than the child sponsorship program with World Vision. Nothing leverages our resources better than child sponsorships. Nothing is more comprehensive in combating all the causes of poverty than child sponsorships. And one thing that almost brought me to tears was where I went to a spot where six years ago I stood with Colleen and Marlene Gabriel. And we saw about 60 local children sitting in the dirt uh, having school with one teacher trying to teach them with a, a blackboard on a stand and some chalk. No books, no paper, no pencils, no roof over their heads, nothing. And because of us casting our bread upon the waters and joining with other churches, there are now eight school buildings serving 680 children with more buildings under construction. That is good investment of our mission dollars. That's the kind of thing that child sponsorship accomplishes. But the job isn't done. As you heard last week, I got to meet my family's sponsored child, Brenda. And I didn't realize the significance of the photo that you're seeing right now that I took of her until I got home. She's dressed in her, her bright blue school uniform, right? And she's surrounded by all these beautiful kids from her village. But I didn't realize until I got home that none of them are wearing a school uniform. That's because they're not going to school. They're the ones who are still waiting to be sponsored. They're the ones who are waiting. They're the ones whose faces are all on those child packets that we have available this morning. Folks, our job 
isn't done. Our job isn't done until all those kids can be wearing their own school uniform. But one thing that almost made me physically ill was the day after I returned to the U.S., I turned on the TV, and I saw an ad for another child sponsorship group, not World Vision, I won't tell you who it was, but the commercial showed the saddest, most disheveled, emaciated, pathetic-looking children you've ever seen to make the viewer feel guilty so that you'd support one of their children. I mean, they even got one of the kids to cry on camera. It was worse than watching those ads for the animal abuse shelters. It really almost made me ill. It was so manipulative. That way of trying to gain support is exactly opposite of what we're talking about this morning. I don't want to see any more pictures of dirty children. I saw a lot of that in person in Africa. Don't misunderstand. I saw a lot of very pathetic-looking children, children living in squalor. I have a lot of those pictures. The plight is, is very real. But that is not the reason God wants us to give. We give because it reflects the very heart of God. And because we're making a good investment with competent, highly educated, effective, selfless professionals who are helping their own people with dignity. It should give us a sense of joy to know that we have the opportunity of partnering with them. We give not out of guilt, but but out of admiration. Folks, when we see effective, Christ-loving people like that, I mean, you want to grab onto it. I'm not interested in seeing us pour our money down the drain. I'm not interested in making people feel guilty so that they'll give. Now, I want people to appreciate the privilege of being able to partner and to provide resources that will support their progress spiritually and economically and socially. I came away with such a deep sense of of admiration for their faith, their hard work, their love for Christ, their love for their own children. Well, my time is up this morning, but just for a moment, I want you to try and feel the joy that's on the other side of our mission giving. I want you to see the joy of sponsored children and their families, how much it means to them that we care. I happened to be in a small group that visited a school in Rwanda, impacted by World Vision in an area development project that's almost at its 15th year almost to the point where World Vision has finished their work and is ready to pull out. And so we were surprised when over 2,000 children greeted us. And this was their way of thanking World Vision. And you'll see what it was like for some folks to meet their sponsored child and family in person for the very first time. Let's see that video now.
One of the guys in that video sponsors 21 children. Can you imagine his joy in seeing how his generosity is really making a difference? He cast his bread upon the water and it returned to him in boatloads. People who aren't generous never have experiences like that. You don't have to travel to Africa to know the joy of making the difference in the life of a child. I hope you will sponsor a child. If you already sponsor a child, I hope you'll become an advocate for child sponsorship, that you take a packet with you and you commit to find someone who will sponsor that child. Live generously. Don't hang a do not disturb sign on your life. Don't say I'm tired, I'm, I'm retired, I've, I've paid my dues. No, activate your faith today. You see, wisdom must be accompanied with action or it's useless. And don't wait for some idyllic time in the future. It will never come. Ask God how he can unlock your life. Take Jesus' words to heart where he says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Invest well. Live a generous life. Let's pray. God, we thank you then in our worship. It's not just about mentally agreeing to some facts about God. It is a commitment to a lifestyle that reflects your character and your love. Jesus, we thank you for the words that you've put into Scripture. We thank you for your words that you've come to give us life, that life is meant to be full. We know that's a lot of what Ecclesiastes has been talking about. And I pray, God, that we would be a people filled with joy because our lives are making progress by grace and that you would be the one leading us and guiding us each step of the way. Help us to live a generous life. In your name we pray. Amen.